Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the 3 and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the 3 and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Welcome back to the 3 in D-Love NBA podcast. Fellow listeners, we're joined today by Ryan and D-Love, he of uh, the famous Big 3 prognostication. So we're going to start, you know, first it was Wiggins, then it was uh, the, the, the Suns Big 3, or Big 4, I think, last year. So I got to start with Derek. After the draft, do the Blazers now have a big three with Damian Lillard, Grant, and Shaden Sharp? <laughs> well, first, Michael, I just want to thank you for batting leadoff tonight. Uh, obviously, usually that's my role, but my stuff, my monologue does not work in the off season. So I, I thank you for that. Uh, so it's a new role. I'm going to have to get adjusted to this. Uh, I'm honored, I'm, but I'm going to put you on the hot seat. I need, yeah. to, I need like, to know your take. <laughs> D-Love, you're like Trey Young. Michael's like Deontay Murray. You got to share the ball. You have to play off the ball a little bit, run off some picks, do Steph Curry-like stuff. But it's better for the team, D. It's better for hey, the team. You got you to adapt, you know, whatever you're called to do. Next time, uh, I'm going to learn how to produce this thing. Oh, wait, that's not going to happen. Let's <laughs> <laughs> get carried away here. Uh, no, the, the answer to your question is, is absolutely. Uh, we have a, a star in the making. People say that Sharp is not ready to play, but that is not the case. He has an NBA body, which is the most important thing. The guy, you know, 24-7 a day, he's, he's playing basketball. He's going to be fine. It's always a transition to the NBA anyway, but yes, he's a little bit of a risk because he has not played any college basketball, so uh, <laughs> there is that. So I'm not I saying mean, there's not a risk, but... I heard, uh, who is it? KFC Simmons guy. His immediate yes. reaction was he's not ready to play, but he's got an NBA body. He's ready to go. His shot is great. He's got the athleticism. I don't quite know what we're doing with right before we traded for Jeremy Grant. <laughs> so we got like one foot in the now, one foot in the foot in the future. Uh, but, uh, what's your line, Ryan and Cronin, we trust. To, <laughs> that's I'm right. I, that's <laughs> Cronin, we trust. Well, I, I have a couple questions. Number one, uh, if Sharp hasn't played like like competitive basketball in a year, how does Kevin O'Connor know he's not ready? <laughs> I don't know. As, yeah. How do any of us know? <laughs> this is definitely a no one knows anything situation. Well, Number two. I, oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, hit go, it. Go, go, go. Hit it. Well, because I, I just to say on the bright side, if Shaden Sharp is not ready, they said it about Anthony Simons, and in year four, he was pretty good. So, <laughs> <laughs> there. Touche. Touche. Uh, my other question is. In all the private workouts that, that Sharp was doing over the last year, was there a chair? Was he going against a chair or not? I think that's a key question. Because if there was a chair in there, then we're in real trouble. We're Blazers. We're in real trouble. But uh, we'll see. All I can tell you, I've seen his YouTube video. He's flawless. He never misses. Um, well, those workouts at the YMCA were awesome. <laughs> well, I, I do think a couple, a couple of thoughts. One is um, – he did reclassify. And I think that's something that like we're still kind of figuring out how that works. Um, I'm pretty sure Imani Bates did that as well. Um, 
So it's like I'm not sure how these like high schools are working where you can just like skip your senior year of high school. <laughs> like I don't know, get some extra credits. I mean, I guess a lot of these quarterbacks in, the, in college football now graduate in like a year and a half. So I think it's they, they've really figured out how this all works. But I, Sharp was like the number one recruit, I think, in his. I guess that would be the class of 22, and then he reclassified to 21, if I recall correctly, to go to college. And I, and I think it's like that creates interesting dynamics because you go from being like the best player in a class to then being like a top player in the next class, but like playing up is not is not easy. Um, and then I do think this piece of like David Thorpe, I think, criticized the pick. And Thorpe was like, Coach Thorpe's great. I, I just think he criticized the pick basically saying this guy's not a competitor, like he's not playing, like this is not the type of guy you want to get. I just feel like with Overtime Elite, um, with G League Ignite, with Australia, like with people having like the top high school players having personal coaches, like it is just, it is not, it is a different era. I feel like I would feel like if this happened like 10 years ago, he did this, it would have been like, this is wacky. But like, now it's not that far maybe it's a little bit off from like the average guy now but there's guys come from everywhere <laughs> to get in the league so again I, I don't understand the like again like you're 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 getting like you said you're getting grant and you're drafting sharp it just kind of feels but i think what happened was is and i like this is you know incredibly trust decided you know i hired mike schmitz just a hot the presses of espn who's like deeply engaged in like this crop of players and probably knows these players as well as anybody. And I'm going to pick the best player available. And I think that's the only way to draft. Like if you're drafting for fit, like we need a center, let's draft it. It's just, it just makes it a very hard problem. It just puts a very, another variable in there. So I, I think last, last thought is that, you know, when um, Carol, Pete Carroll went to the Seahawks, looking back on it, one of the things that really helped him was that, he had just come from college and he knew like all of the players. Like, so when they drafted like Sherman late in the draft or they signed Baldwin, like he had like, he had coached against those guys. Like he had, he, he like, he knew them. And so he had, and I remember Jimmy Johnson when he left Miami and went to Dallas, like it was like, he got this like couple year head start. Cause he knew all the players that were coming up. And I feel like Schmitz, like, I know they all have scouts and stuff, but that guy was like, he is like he was like deep in it, and so um, you know I I feel like it's a it's it picking this player makes always makes sense, but it's a little trickier when your star is thirty two. Again, last last point, I think this means that um, Damian Lillard is going to get the super max like five year two hundred fifty million dollar extension that he wants, and then basically play in it, see what happens the next year or two, and then they'll like send him off into the sunset at some point to chase a ring if when he's like thirty four thirty five. Well, the speculation is he's getting the two-year. He's getting. He's already on the supermax, but he's getting the extension, right? Which is like a two-year, one hundred and five million, or two-year, one hundred million. I thought is what I saw in terms of which it tax on. I mean, it's not like it's he's like a pending free agent by any means, right? So tax on another two years. So he's like accumulates to that five two fifty that you're talking about. Got it. Um, Thank you it, for saving me there. I appreciate. No, it's it does. I mean, it it does create this interesting dynamic, and I'm curious if if they I just be so fascinated to be in the conversation about this pick is it do they think sharp can contribute or did they do an asset thing or are they trying to kind of split the baby I mean there's so many different ways to measure this obviously drafting for need I mean it's funny you say that Ryan it's like 
they, you know, the, the Kings have drafted for need like five state drafts and like none of those lottery picks are still on their team, right? They did it again this year. I mean, they drafted Keegan Murray because they didn't want Jaden Ivey to have to play with De'Aaron Fox. Like it's like totally insane that they keep doing the same thing over and over again. But so I, I, I commend the Blazers in terms of, of drafting Sharp. But I mean, I think ultimately to me, this is the, this was what was going to happen the moment they got the seven pick and they didn't jump up into the lottery. They didn't get the new Orleans pick. Yeah. And right. so when you have the culmination of having one pick at seven, instead of two at four and 12, right. It's a, those are two very different kind of asset or loads. just one at two or one at three or one. At, yeah, exactly. And yeah. So, it's a bummer that didn't work out. Yeah. And so that as a result to me, like they, they, they didn't have a lot of outs here. Um, but it's, it's, it, it, it creates some interesting drama. I mean, I'm just wondering how Cronin handles the pen, the next couple of weeks because they do have a lot of opportunities to create some some roster support around Lillard and now Jeremy Grant and, and presumably they will re-sign Simons. Um, and, and Sharp is a guy who, again, has the capability to really kind of swing a trade. I mean, there's a, there's yeah. a lot of different folks out there that, that are – being discussed as available. I mean, the, the Hawks have multiple guys that would be pretty interesting, interesting if they were on the Blazers and you wonder what their timelines kind of looks like in terms of, you know, guys they're trying to get off of. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm fascinated to see what Carnot ends up doing and, and the way they view sharp going forward. Sharp's ready to go. But that's a great place to get disguised to get number seven. <laughs> Well, that's a great point that I hadn't thought about that part, Michael, is that if you, yeah, if you're picking, they pick the best player, but they also, the, they pick the highest ceiling, the best, like, talent, but they also pick the guy that, like, even if, like, again, he will be the rookie of the year, it's going to be amazing, the three-guard lineup is going to take the world by storm, <laughs> but if if he doesn't play as much to start, he's still, like, the guy you can cast a dream on versus the guys who came after him, like, He's the guy that you could be like, like you said, he could be the, they could throw, it could be him, a pick and like salary and they could get a really good player for that. Even if he's not playing all the time, cause it's like, he's 19 or whatever. And he's, you know, he's just getting, he's green. He's getting into it, but like he could be someone we could forecast with a high ceiling in the future. So yeah, I think Cronin, you know, it's a solid start and uh, yeah. I do wish we go could Blazers. Got, like- I wish we could have got like John Collins instead of Grant because like uh, Grant is our I know we don't have like a typical power forward anymore these days. But the fact that he only gets like four rebounds a game, I don't know. <laughs> kill your gonna, fantasy team. I know the Hawks actually made a deal that's really put my fantasy position in peril last year. I don't know if we're ready to go to the oh. I guess the big the big. The let's big deal it. of the day. Well, well, I, let's get there. No, but I, you're, I think, you're running the I show. Mean, you guys. <laughs> I want to make sure we go in the corner, Trey. Deontay's got the ball. Okay. Hey, do you need to take the mic back, my friend? No. Uh, get your hands off your knees, uh, Trey. Come on. You got to don't stand by the mid court line, Trey. You got to run off some picks. Know your role. Capella's yelling at you, Trey. I have a hot take to, to be shared later. Um, circling off the, the, the draft, I think. There was a bit of surprise on draft night. I mean, I think the presumed number one pick was going to be Jabari Smith, and it ultimately was Paolo Banchero, Seattle's finest, uh, which should Go have dogs. been a UW product, unfortunately, uh, to the Orlando Magic, Chet Holmgren to Oklahoma City, and then Smith ultimately to the Rockets. Um, what what'd you guys take there? I mean, was it? I think we kind of discussed, 
you know, all the kind of talking points about the draft before it happened last week. But, you know, ultimately, Paolo going one, you know, to me feels like he's this he's sort of like he's splitting he's splitting the middle between the really safe pick in Jabari Smith and the home run swing in in Holmgren. And that's what the magic ultimately settled on was a guy who could probably get some buckets and kind of be a point forward type of player. Um, but maybe isn't going to be the unicorn Holmgren is, but doesn't also have the same floor. Um, and that's, that's kind of how they settled. I mean, the magic are such a mystery to me in terms of just what they're trying, what they're trying to do. They, they non-tendered <laughs> Mo Bamba who actually like turned into a viable NBA player in the last year. Like he decided to guard the rim and shoot 38% from three. And then they just don't want to pay him 9 million bucks. Like it's just insane to me. So what's your, what's your make of the top three and ultimately how the draft settled out? Well, the Magic's like approach to the, having the first pick it reminded me a little bit of a, of a short-lived show that sort of for comedy fans is, is looked back at very fondly because of the writing staff and the, the talent on it. It was the Danny Carvey show back from the, the mid-'90s. And there was you – know, it didn't last very long, but it, again, it had a, just a murderous row of writers and comedians involved with that show. Stephen Colbert. Carvey. Right. The, one of the famous sketches, and there's only a couple. Maybe one, this is the only one, but it was Steve Carell and Colbert and um they um they they're in a car and they order food at a drive through and they pull up to the you know, they make their order they're they're laughing and giggling like the whole time <laughs> and the 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 uh fast food uh, attendants <laughs> like okay that'll funny. be $20 and they hand over they just laugh, <laughs> look at each other and laugh and they hand over the 20 bucks and then they just take off with their car without getting the food and they're just laughing and high-fiving and having like the greatest time ever and don't fast- forget <laughs> then they went to shovel the snow they cleared all the snow and when the owner of the home came out to pay him they took off without the money and <laughs> laughed a lot of that too. There we go. So the Magic's like approach to the first, it was just like, I, like you have the first pick, man. Like unless they were trying to like, they thought Smith was going to like be attractive to another team, but it seemed like Houston really wanted Paolo. Um, so it was very bizarre. So that, that's just one thought. And then you know, I thought going with Banchero over Smith made sense to me. I think, you know, Smith doesn't to me doesn't seem like necessarily a primary. Like he's going to be a good, great scorer. He's got great shooting, all those things. But like, I I wouldn't feel comfortable going in relying on, you know, Suggs, Cole Anthony, Fultz coming back. Wagner's really good, but those guys would be like, we'll put a shooter next to them, and then we're in business. It's like I think getting someone who can like you know, have the ball in their hands a lot and like make positive plays with it is, is really good. Um, so I, I, I like that, that choice. I mean, I definitely take a Holmgren and I feel like everything I'm hearing even after the draft is making me feel even stronger about that. Like, I mean, someone was saying he's like the most, one of those competitive guys they've ever seen. Like he has like an NBA mindset. He's like, wants to like, you know, he's just super competitive. It's like, wait, super competitive, seven feet tall, elite shot blocker, super smart and like willing passer who played within like a system can shoot threes. <laughs> like, what, what, what am I missing here? <laughs> like, why isn't this guy like Robert Williams, but can like shoot? Like, <laughs> I mean, that just seems like, okay, you can play the, you have to play the Celtics defense and put them over on the like 
corner wing, and then he just comes off and just blocks shots like a maniac for the first couple of years. But I just, I still don't get. I if I had the first pick, I would have been Holmgren for sure. Um, again, just because of the, just take the best talent and see what happens. Um, but easy for me to say sitting in the in the peanut gallery. Didn't you guys say last week that Paolo's mother was a, a college athlete? Oh, she was like the UW. I mean, other than Kelsey Plum. Maybe the MVP this year, who's having a crazy year for the Aces. Um, Cheryl Smith is like maybe the second best player in like UW history, right? I mean, would you say that's fair, Michael? I mean, yeah. she she's up there. Yeah. I mean, she's scoring yeah. two thousand points, something. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. She's so, legit. well, my theory is so everyone's saying that what Orlando did was like inexplicable. That that they just changed at the last second to 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 pick Paolo, and I figured that they listened to our podcast last week. If it's a toss-up, the deciding factor is if if the mother has the, the athletic genes, right? Curry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that there's something there too. Yeah, that. man. No, you need, you need something as an extra push. I think that was it. Well, it, it was really cool that they were celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title. It's Title Nine with the, yeah. um, and you see, like, I mean, Ivy's mom is there with, and we talked about her last time, I think, too, and she's just like, you know, um. She's got him as a little baby, like a WNBA. Um, JaVale McGee was the first one, I think, where, like, he had the first like, – because his mom was a big-time player at USC with Cheryl Miller and I think played in the Olympics and everything. So, yeah, it's I like that. Ty goes to the yeah. mom who's an athlete because she gives yeah. – she's, like, the loving support for my mom and also the, like, can still kick your ass on the basketball court. <laughs> Exactly. And, good, and on the other combo. hand, Ty does not go to the player who let Drew Timmy monopolize all his touches. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. I'm sorry. When I hear a guy who's massively competitive and meanwhile he's deferring to Drew Timmy in the NCAA tournament, even though the guy might be the number one pick in the draft, I'm hard-pressed to totally buy into that narrative. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little – this is probably not the best comparison for saying Holmgren's got the biggest talent, but it reminded me a little bit of like – when Marvin Williams came in with that Carolina team years ago, and it was like he had all the guys coming back, like Felton, um, Sean May, all those guys who those them to be first round picks, and it was like even though he was like the best player, most talented player on the team, he was the sixth man, <laughs> he ended up being the second pick of the draft. So I think like Few's trying to do, um, you know, he's trying he's trying to have that program um, because at the end of the day, like he kind of has to. When you have that infrastructure, it's it's coming from the coach, and you know, he doesn't like tattletale on UW assistance anymore. So he's got you got to focus on bigger, better things. So yeah, like getting DUIs in Idaho. <laughs> uh, alas, that is that 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 I think can wrap up the draft for for our review. We'll move on to bigger and better items. What I'm calling pre-free agency is upon us. Uh, free agency kicks off Friday. Uh, and so there's a lot of action going on. Most notably, I think a number of trades. I think with one of the interesting dynamics is the league year turns over on the free agency start date. And so there's a lot of money maneuvering here at the end of the season or the end of the uh, league year. And you also have then all of the contractual options for players and teams being either picked up or uh, not picked up. And so we had sort of the Kyrie stalemate, which got old really fast. And ultimately he, he uh, forged a brave new path by accepting $37 million in a player option and deciding to stick with the Brooklyn Nets going forward. Uh, Russell Westbrook similarly in a act of good faith uh, exercised his $47 million player option uh, to continue forward. And, and in 
what seems to be a, maybe a shake, a handshake agreement. I think James Harden declined his $47 million option, which uh, has actually led to a few other options for the Sixers going forward. So a number of kind of uh, things there, but the, I think the bigger news and you alluded to it earlier, Derek. So I'm curious about how this affects your fantasy team. DeJounte Murray, Seattle's finest, has been traded to the Atlanta Hawks for Danilo Gallinari, who's going to get bought out in three first-round picks, one of which I think is someone else's pick in 23 and then a 25 pick, a 27 pick, and a pick swap. So quite a uh, haul for the Spurs as they kind of signal heading into uh, tank mode for the, I think, the French kid. Uh, what do you make of it, Derek? How, how's your fantasy team doing given that uh, Murray is now with the Hawks? Well, I probably shouldn't spend uh, too much time on the fantasy part. I know we do have a couple of listeners in the league. Kevin Petermeyer, Matt Garl. I guess I'll find out if you still are listening. <laughs> but I drew the last pick in the draft, which is the 10th pick. So I'm back to back 10 and 11. I was eyeing Trey Young and Murray in those spots. And now I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out for them statistic wise or actually playing together. Um, I, I, as the Hawk for the Hawks, I feel like it's, what do you have to lose to get uh, a big talent like that? So I don't mind, uh, the experiment. I don't know how well they're going to play together. And if they would, you know, I don't think they would need to do some other things to become a contender in the East, but, um, I don't mind them, you know, swinging for swinging for something there and getting, and getting Murray, but, but so fantasy dilemma aside, what do you guys think of the deal? <laughs> Well, I, I I like Murray quite a bit. I mean, I think DeJounte Murray as a 25-year-old point guard who's who missed an entire year two years ago with a knee injury and and made his first all-star team this last year. Um, you know, defensively, I think he's he's a force, you know, not quite in like the Drew Holiday mold, but certainly has the length and athleticism to really be disruptive. And then, you know, he's, he's that ball handler that the Hawks never had beyond Trey Young. And so... From that fit perspective, I think DeJounte is a great addition. Um, you know, I think th- there's not much interesting to me about this from the Spurs perspective. I just think it makes sense. I mean, they ultimately looked in the mirror and realized that being the 7, 8, 9, 10 seeds in the, in the Western Conference isn't very fun. Uh, and so they kind of get live, busy living or get busy, in this case, dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sort of hopefully they can quickly tank and then rebound. Uh, and, and what they ultimately got to me actually is a pretty valuable load. I mean, you, you there, there's so much um, potential in these far out picks and the, the 25 and 27 picks are, are, have no protections. So, you know, you, you never know what's ultimately. Neither does a 26 happen. swap either. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so, so there's, I mean, we saw it with the Harden trade. I mean, that was sort of poo pooed when they, <clears throat> when they didn't take Simmons and the result was that they got this, package of picks that just seemed like the nets were going to be good forever and all of a sudden like 18 months later now hardens on a new team <laughs> emergency emergency and, and the nets are a tire fire so it's just you know the, there's a variance element here that you know you assume the net the hawks will continue to be good but i mean really they've been bad more than they have been good in the last several years i mean they had that one sort of fluky run to the conference finals last year in the, or two years ago in this most last year, I mean, they were in the play-in. I mean, they was just, they're not a team that has proven that they're 
going to be perpetually successful. And, and what we've seen in the Eastern Conference is a resurgence of the depth that they traditionally haven't had. And so they have four or five teams that are really competitive and, and look to be competitive going forward in Boston and Milwaukee and Miami, teams that have this infrastructure that, again, it's like a, it feels like it's a good bet for, for the San Antonio, even though it does result in them losing a guy, a homegrown talent. I mean, they had... You know, Murray as a rookie, the 25th pick in the draft, I think. And ultimately, he grew into an all-star. Um, you know, I'm pretty skeptical of, of how it's going to work in Atlanta. I mean, I think it fills presumably some of the gaps they have. And so I actually, I, I, um, I am, I... I cheers to their effort in terms of scanning the market and finding the guy who fit in their, the mold they needed. And so I think it actually does do that. My concern is more that Trey young is never proven that he can actually do the Steph Curry routine where he moves off the ball and everyone's like, Hey, this will be great. Secondary ball handler, DeJounte Murray, Trey Young's going to move off the ball now because he trusts the secondary ball handler. They're friends from AAU. I mean, we just saw how Katie and Kyrie worked out when friends got together in Brooklyn. Like, I don't think that's a great premise for exactly how the success of basketball can go. Wait, and Trey, so, Trey and Baby Boy were on the same team? Or they played against uh, each other in AAU? Uh, well, I think they have this history, and that's one of the He was on Rotary? Like, Is that what I'm hearing? Was he on, it, it, was, yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> But it's so that's the thing for me that I'm concerned about is just I'm I'm not, you know, Trey Young as a, you know, longevity winning basketball player. I have my skepticism. And so, you know, I'm curious to see how he plays aside a player like DeJounte, because, again, Murray really does paper over a lot of his limitations, whether it's guarding the lead guard or handling the ball in a secondary way. I mean, these, these, these ball dominators need secondary ball handlers. I mean, we'll get to the, the Mavs situation in a sec, but you saw Luka take another step and the Mavs as a team take another step when they relied more on Brunson to be that secondary guy. And so that if that is an option for the Hawks, it, it does provide a, a pretty interesting circumstance. But um, I, I am, I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. And there's so much else to unpack there. I mean, it's worth mentioning that there's rumors and innuendo that, you know, some mixture of Collins, Capella, Bogdanovich, and Herter are all in conversations to sort of get traded. So it'll be fascinating to see kind of where where those things go and ultimately who their six, seven, eight guys are when this is all said and done. But obviously they want to build around Murray and, and um Murray and uh, Young going forward. I mean, I, I, I'm going to ask you this. Where would you guys rank them as a backcourt compared to kind of the, thinking about the rest of the league, a backcourt of Young and Murray compared to any of the other sort of like duos that we have sort of throughout the league? Like Lillard and Simons? Uh... Exactly. Lillard and Simons. I mean, you have Lillard and Sharp. staff. Yeah. Was Shaden Sharp in there? No. Drexler um, and Porter. Booker and Paul. <laughs> Hey, as, as a real quick aside before we go to that question, um, has Greg Popovich announced his retirement after the Murray trade, or is he going to go through with this? Or? Well, they, they say the best thing for um, for a general manager or for a coach to have job security is to blow it up because then they say they can't get rid of you until they see how the rebuild works. So Popovich stayed a step ahead. No, I don't know. Who knows? What? Let's see if he shows up in October. I don't know. Yeah. What's the first game? Apparently, it was reported that he gave his blessing to the trade, and he said the quote was, I'm excited to coach this team. It'll be like when I was at Pomona. 
<laughs> so funny if true. true. <laughs> we have we have thirty NBA franchises, and one of them is being compared to like what is it an NAI school or like a D like a tiny D two school or something. <laughs> so we're going that going for us. San Antonio is a small market, so I'll give them that. But I digress. Sorry, Michael. To your question, the backcourt. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Mean, what do you guys make of it? That's an interesting. Yeah, so I guess for Chicago. Okay, let's see. So I'm just trying to think of other backcourts that. Yeah, I mean Booker and Paul, you called out. That's a good one. I mean, probably. Um, let's see. I mean, probably Memphis, right? With Bain and Morant, I would say I'd rather have those two. It would be close though. Um, and maybe with Murray, that, that's interesting. But I think that's like they're in the they're in the conversation. Curry Clay, yeah, Curry and Clay potentially still. Or Jordan Poole, should I say? Maxi and Harden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're just. I guess maybe I asked the question, and we're there's at, not like, that many good backcourts. I think is what you're saying. <laughs> well, there's not that many. But CJ also, and Point Zion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. It's a good point, actually. That's a, it's, it's kind I mean, of Garland and Sexton. I mean, there's like, like I feel like in the '90s mm. it would have been like they would have been like the tenth best backcourt, and we can't think of two or three that are like obviously better. I mean, besides Booker and Paul, it's that's interesting. Maybe that's maybe what the the method to the madness is. So it's I mean, do, does this does this make a meaningful? I mean, are they a top four team for you as a result? I mean, again, lots to be unpacked, but it just it feels like a really heavy dice roll. I think Zach Lowe made the point that that these these teams that do this team building they really have one bite at the apple on these types of trades, like they in the in this cycle, right? On each cycle, they can kind of they can do one all in, right? And like Milwaukee did it with Drew, and they do kind of went all in with to go get him. The Lakers did it with AD to go get go to go get him, right? That this is the, the Hawks doing the pro, that. The, like, the problem with that comparison is that with all, with all respect for Zach Lowe is that uh, Milwaukee had Giannis when they did it, and the Lakers had LeBron, but that's and the Hawks the have Trey. <laughs> but that's the point, right? Dominique Wilkins, Kevin Willis are not walking through that door. Is it? Is it? I mean, is that is that a testament to the fact that like Travis Schlenk is totally rolling, is totally gambling with his job because I think he he doesn't see a way out of his sort of like you know guaranteed level of mediocrity. Yeah, I think. um, I mean, that was kind of where I was going to look at it from. Was that? I mean. First of all, can you imagine like the roster he built around Trey? Imagine if he had picked Luca and they didn't get Reddish. I think was he, the, he was the guy they got. I think for the yes, other exactly. Pick. So imagine if they had Luca and all of these like shooters. <laughs> they're all shooters or defensive guys. <laughs> you know, it's like it's honestly the perfect like that's who Dallas. If Dallas could just like take the whole roster besides tray and flip it that's actually who they'd like to be and i think when they trade for Przingis, they've gotten finney smith these guys they're trying to become that it's just like it's very interesting that way but it it didn't work and i think it's kind of sad to me a little bit because the biggest issue was that none of the guys that came in have developed like if hunter has stayed healthy and gotten better if collins who i like 
but he, at 22 million a year, like he doesn't give you much if any excess value off of that. So it's like, it's, it's like this whole, I, I, to your point, Michael, with Travis, like it's like this whole process has kind of run its course. And then you kind of look around and you're like, Oh wait, maybe we're not that good because we're not that good. Like, we don't have any good players. Cause, and I think that run to the conference finals maybe gave them a different idea. And I, and I think their ownership is very like, they want to see results. And so I think, um, I think it is, it's one of those situations where it's, it's risky to give a GM who, you know, is probably doesn't have that many more shots left before he gets, you know, his uh, weapon taken away is like going out guns a blazing. Um, because if, if it goes South, like, like you said, I mean, those are really, really, it's, and again, it's not, it's like a mediocre team. It's not like they're going from, they were top five this year. And it's just like, you know, the first one's going to be nothing. And you just kind of worry about the out years. It's like, I mean, it's really a problem. So I, I um, yeah, I, I, it's just, you kind of look at them and feel like they should be better. And I do think they could improve. And this is maybe more of a Jonathan Charks perspective, but yeah, he wrote a piece last year about a Kongwu. I, I feel like a Kong, I would trade Capella like as soon as possible. And if you could get anything for him of value and play a Kongwu, I think a Kongwu playing a lot of minutes is more of a fulcrum and hub for their offense next to Trey, next to Murray is like, pretty nice and then you just put the shooting around it and let collins go and run and go for dunks and stuff. i mean the nice part with murray is he will get um like he, he he's gonna try and share the ball more although did you guys see the video i sent you someone yeah. put, posted of like <laughs> murray murray and trey young when they're both on nine assists for the game <laughs> it's just them not shooting is passing back and forth until yeah. Someone give the, just just that's why what, what I would have pictured Draymond Green and Ben Simmons if they would have played together. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Draymond uh, Rodman one on one game. Um, so yeah, it's it's I, I I just it's hard for me like Murray. I think if you're a really good team playing the playoffs, you'd want Murray to be like if you if he was your smallest guard, then you're really in business on the defense. You know, it's just I feel like it's like. He can cover for Trey, but it's like you still have to figure out how to like cover Bradonovich and Herder, <laughs> you know. And so maybe maybe they make another move and like kind of kind of even that out a bit. But it's yeah, it's just a mix. It, it, it's just kind of a bummer because you know if they had Luca, obviously, and then the reddish Hunter picks didn't haven't really developed fully, and then you know they they had the salary, they had the cap space. You know, they had the shot at that and ended up being Gallinari. Bogdanovich was a good pickup, but it was Gallinari, which was kind of like a sad result. And then, again, like some of the young guys are washing out. And then, yeah, you just put, go all in on a, you know, marginal all-star who I, I love. I mean, go dogs and go Seattle, and go beach. But it's, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's, it's more kind of leaves, leaves me wanting. I just, and, and, and the last thought on this is that, People like all the like, oh, he, Trey's not going to be like Steph. Steph is one in a billion. We've been talking about it for months in the playoffs. Like, <laughs> he is the only one willing to do that stuff. Like, he's the only one who's willing to say, okay, like, I'll play off the ball and I will like run through a million picks and like run 15 miles a game because that's what helps my team do things and that's what makes my coach happy. 
It's like, like he's the only type of leader that would do that. Like the rest of these guys are more normal. Like he's abnormal. It's not, it's not like Trey young or Harden or like, I mean, they're like any of us. They just, they want to do the least amount of effort they have to do to do what they like to do. It's like, Steph is like, he's a level five leader. He'll do whatever, whatever it takes. I mean, it's just so funny, but as a quick aside on Steph, like not only the Draymond comments based saying that, you know, they, they needed Durant because Steph wasn't a one-on-one scorer at that point, and he started lifting weights, and now he can, like, score on anybody, which it's like I saw so much. One of the talkers is kind of, you know, you're kind of like, come on, guy, but he he was like, he's like, Draymond, is it? It's one of the guys that like Fox Sports. He was like, Draymond, it, Draymond, I don't think it's the weight room that Steph not getting the weight room that prevented you guys from scoring against the Cavs. It was you shooting – like you have a backpack on <laughs> that was the bigger contributor <laughs> to your offensive struggles <laughs> and getting suspended. Yeah, for a critical exactly. Game. I don't know. Um, but even Kerr was talking about how, Oh, like Steph can, cause he played off guard his first two years at Davidson. And so he knows how to play off the ball. It's just kind of like, come on. Like he's like, he does it cause he does the right thing. It's like Duncan could be a power forward. He could be a center. Like he doesn't care. He just wants to win. Like he'll do whatever it takes to win. Curry is the same way. So it's like no one else is going to be like that. Like we can't expect anyone to do it because it's honestly an inefficient use of his also. <laughs> I mean, Harden and Maury would argue it's inefficient use of his energy to run through. Oh, I can't. You know, if if uh, Steph got in the weight room, uh, you know, Steph's too tired in the games to go one on one. He just he, we have to protect him with a minute. It's like, no, you just don't have him run like a marathon <laughs> during the game. Sorry. It's an old hobby wait, horse, but it all comes no. back to criticizing Curry Draymond for me. So. <laughs> but wait, I have to, when, when you reference Tim, Tim Connolly's on the line, we'll get. To oh that yeah. I'm ready. I'm sorry. When you referenced uh, Duncan. So do you think when he, he was joke joking, when he told all of his six foot seven power forwards that he was the power forward and they were the center. Hey man, Rasha Nesterovich was definitely seven feet. Okay, he had a little of the day. Yeah, That's fair. Blair, he had a little Forrest bit Dia. of. He had a little bit. He had Malik Rose. He had a little bit. He definitely Malik. had a little bit of the Anthony Davis. Like I'm not. A, I'm not a center. Like Kevin Durant. I'm not seven foot. Thing fair. But I'm just saying, like whatever he wanted to yeah, call himself, Points he was going to do whatever it took to win. But yes, that's that's a good. Good point. Somewhere Bob, somewhere Bob Hill is crying, but uh, you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, in another trade, uh, maybe less noteworthy than, than the Hawks-Spurs trade was the Denver Nuggets. Sending More noteworthy for the 3 and D Love podcast, Monte though. Come on. Morris and Will Barton to the Washington Wizards. I mean, this is like Jim McElvain or, or, or George Mirasan having a great trade. This is Calvin Booth. I mean, do you Calvin, Calvin Booth? Booth? Like, backup his replacement. Let me just remind the, the listeners at home, Ryan's <laughs> favorite GM, read the sarcasm in my voice, oh, Tim my Connolly gosh. has moved on to an ownership stake along with A-Rod and J-Lo. Oh, Where? wait, not, not J-Lo. In, the, oh. in, in Minnesota. <laughs> And he was replaced by Calvin Booth, who summarily fired Tim Connolly's nephews as the in the I think they were in scouting roles. Uh, he fired them on his first day on the job. Really send a message, and Calvin Booth then sent out uh, Tim Connolly's favorite nephew, Monte Morris, to the Washington Wizards. So Ryan and Will Barton, and Will Barton. Here's the thing: it's a lot to send out. I mean, Monte Morris and Will Barton did some things. 
Maybe not. Maybe a little more than you'd like them to do. But th- a lot I, to send out to get KCP back in the fold. What do you make of this, right? If, if we actually had, if we had Dave Cameron creating the war for uh, the NBA as opposed to Kevin Pelton's whatever it's called, like they'd both be negative war players. Okay, they're replacement level players that Uncle Timmy decided to pay twenty million bucks combined to. Uh, by the way, like. How great. Maybe this is my generation thing. D-Lo, let me know your take on this. Michael, I don't know if you have a perspective, but J-Lo and Affleck came back together again is like, I mean, that's kind of cool. I got to say, I mean, midst of all the craziness of their lives and personal lives and I'm still like Team Garner, but it's like, it's kind of a cool story. Like Team Garner. They, they, like, they went through like a total journey. I mean, that was crazy. The movies they had that bombed, all the paparazzi, the Benefer stuff. One thing Affleck pointed out that, like, I was too sort of ignorant to know at the time was, like, just, like, the race, racial element of, like, the critique of, like, J-Lo and them. And I was, like, I just didn't, I mean, I was, like, he brought that up recently. I was, like, wow, that's that's kind of a really interesting thing to think about. Um, but, yeah, are you guys, like, does that? It, it gives hope for a lot of celebrity couples. Out there, right? <laughs> that's true. I know Ryan Gosling's happily married, but Gosling McAdams, man, someday. Brad Pitt and Aniston. We thought we had a chance on that for a little bit. <laughs> I don't know if we're supposed to go Brad Pitt and Jolie or <laughs> Aniston. I don't know. That's, that's true. All right. Um, yeah, so I – yeah, again, I was – you know, all, all kidding aside, although – Connolly, like the, the noise he's making is he wants to put a center next to Carl Anthony Towns. The <laughs> last guy you want trying to acquire a center, which is ironic because you got Nikola Jokic in the second round, one of the greatest centers of all time. But he's the last guy you want to do it. It's going to be like he's going to draft like three centers. He's going to trade. He's going he's gonna to bring in, you know, one of the Plumleys um, off the retirement. Um, so that's going to be interesting. But, yeah, I, I thought the trade was great. Um, just watching, you know, liking Jokic and, and watching a lot of the Nuggets the last couple of years, it's like those guys just they're they. I mean, R.I.P. Jay Cardi, our our you know, our patron of the of the podcast, like they are the epitome of just good enough to get you beat. I mean, that was like they're in the like old Encyclopedia Britannica, like big pictures. It's like the picture of. Tim Connolly that went around after he left giving like a bear hug to like Morris and Barton. It's like those guys like Barton was horrible on defense and like just kind of awkward on offense. Like he could get hot, but he just didn't like, and also they both depend on Jokic so much for their offense. Like Jokic can create a good offense with pretty much anybody. So Again, it's like, oh, they're 38% shooters from three. It's like they're wide open because they have the greatest passer <laughs> like since Bird and Magic getting into the ball. Um, Morris, solid backup point guard. But again, like $9 billion bucks. There's no excess value there. Ish Smith, fine. You know, Bones Highland, good. Better than those guys probably in a year or two. Maybe not this year, but there. And KCP, like 38 40% three-point shooter. You know, flexible defender. I mean – the mistake that Connolly made among a couple, obviously Jokic was amazing, but I really like watching Curry or like, really they should just been like, we need to get, we need to figure out a way to protect Jokic defensively. Like that should be our number one goal. Cause if we can get Jokic in a decent place defensively and a team concept, then he will take care of the offense by himself, sort of a la Curry, but they didn't do that. And so they have Porter and Murray, her both sieves and Jokic is like, 
statistically considered a great defender, probably more in the middle somewhere to middle to positive. So, but now you have Gordon and you have KCP who then now you can kind of, they can always pick the tougher guard. They can pick the tougher assignments, right? From really four to one. And Jokic is fine against the big centers. He just struggles more if they're going to pull him into pick and roll all the time. So I really like it. I think it gives them a really good five-man lineup. And I think what they gave him was not that much. And I think, you know, I, and, I, and this is someone who it, it's like, I have to like play off my distaste for Tim Connolly with my distaste for the Cronkies not spending more money. <laughs> Cause that was the first thing everyone looked at was like, they traded out more salary than they got back and they're trying to get into, I don't think that at all. I think they really wanted KCP and then like, if they could save money in the meantime, it was great. Now I hope they go after GP two or someone else to like fill out that bench and help them get even deeper on the perimeter in terms of defense. But you know, we'll see if they go to that. Yeah. It's, it, it's uh, I'm fascinated to see how, the next kind of week unfolds because I think it's going to tell so much about where these teams sort of view themselves in terms of uh, their sort of standing in their respective conferences. I mean, there's so much to unfold with, you know, evaluating their own free agents, picking up new free agents, right? GP two, even like guys like Kevon Looney and Otto Porter that like the Warriors as sort of the alpha males in the Western Conference, particularly the defending champs, have to kind of navigate. And you're going to have a bunch of teams trying to throw probably, you know, something that's close to a full mid-level a player like GP2, especially if they can play along at an offensive creator like Jokic. I mean, that would be a great, that'd be a great pickup for them, whether it's, whether it's viable or not. It'll be curious to see. Um, but it is. I mean, you know, there's a number of rumored free agency acquisitions that are that are forthcoming. You have what is presumed to be done in the like most tampering tampering experience ever Jalen Brunson to the Knicks. My favorite release though, was that there was a leak today that Jalen Brunson has requested meetings with the Miami heat in the Dallas Mavericks um, before he signs with the Knicks. Gotta get that cover, man. Gotta, gotta get the cover, cover, cover it. Um, I just want to say it's exciting to see the Knicks uh, strive for mediocrity by bringing in Brunson uh, to a big contract. <laughs> I will say it's pretty funny. They've hired like multiple inside men, whether it was, I think they did some stuff with LeBron in 2010 and that failed. They did some stuff with Durant. Um, I think they hired Royal Ivy at one point, the Texas connection to get Durant into town uh, at different instances. Uh, I think that was actually in 16 or or summer of 16. And, and then they really uh, went, all the way down to Jalen Brunson and hiring Rick Brunson and, and obviously worldwide West. I mean, there's a whole heap of connections there that it really does make sense that Brunson is ultimately going to land in New York. But I mean, I'm less curious about the Knicks situation. I mean, they're just, again, going to perpetuate either some level of mediocrity or worse, but what do you guys make of the Mavs here losing a player of Brunson stature, particularly for nothing in most more, almost more importantly, the salary slot that's associated with the player of that of that capacity. I mean, what's does this does this knock the Mavs down a substantial tier even after the Christian Wood trade? Yeah, I mean it's unfortunate, and I think like knowing some of the history there, it especially with the Knicks out there, with the relationships and everything, you know th- that they decided to um, sort of slow play an extension during the season and even at the um, deadline, not 
or ahead of the deadline, not increasing the offer. Because I think they offered in the 455 that Finney Smith accepted, um, which, first of all, is like never going to like, you can't offer, like, even if I'd rather have Finney Smith than Brunson, but you can't offer the scoring, like, guy who, like, has good stats, like, the same amount as the defensive first offer who, like, only shoots threes. Like, it doesn't, like, he's not going to accept that if he doesn't have to. So the fact that they didn't go higher earlier. I think it's because they were still trying to see if they could make a big, bigger move at the deadline than just dumping Porzingis. Um, I think that's the that's the regret. But um, but yeah, it's it, it it maybe goes back to Zach Lowe's point that you really only get like maybe a shot or two at the apple, and they made their move with Porzingis. I mean, that was the move that had to bear fruit for them, and they and they. They made it work, and they, they, they turned it into something so they could make this run that help. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is – it's tough, and it's tough to see how they – like how – if if I think Nate Jones points out a lot that, like, when it's – he compares Luka situation right now to, you know, LeBron when he started with the Cavs, where, like, LeBron was so good so fast he could, like, take his team to the finals, you know, when he was 22 or something. That like you don't have time to get all those draft picks. That like you don't you're not bad long enough to get a stream of draft picks to have a higher chance to have someone hit as a second star. Um, and so you end up with like Hughes and Daniel Marshall and all the ram- randoms that Danny Ferry brought in for for that team. And but we've talked about the Hawks. It hasn't really worked either. So who knows? But I I think they are in a really tough spot. I just. And I know Brunson played really well in the playoffs when Luca was out, but I just still like I'm not I'm not a believer. But at the same time, yeah, you're losing them for nothing. I mean, it seems like they'll probably try and do a sign and trade or get a trade exception or something so they can turn into something else. But yeah, I mean, I think losing Brunson and getting Wood is a is a net negative, and so it's it's tough. It's tough to see, you know, how they where they go from here and, and what moves are available to them when they're good, but not great. And like, how do you get to great at this point? I think he's a, it's a setback, but he's replaceable. And I really did like the Christian Wood deal. So I don't, overall, I don't think it's a, it's a huge step backward. Um, I think, uh, I like what you said there, Ryan. I think they can find somebody to, I guess I think Brunson's a little overrated, uh, at least compared to how the Knicks feel about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I mean, should be a lot of pump beer, faking. They've got beer goggles on. Let's should be a lot of pump there. faking and pivoting in the Garden this next year. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I, I'm a little surprised by the how low or down you guys are on Brunson. Obviously, the Knicks are so super high. And it's a little bit of a reaction, and clearly, even it's something that like. You know, I think I initially seen floated that he would get like Van Vliet money, which is like four. I think it was like four eighty five or something like that. Yeah, forty five. Which, which yeah. felt a, felt pretty reasonable for where he's at and his yeah. age and his progression. And then what's he getting now? Like four one twenty, four one hundred, four one ten. Like what's there, he... there's conjecture that if the Mavs want to even have a shot if this thing's not actually done, they don't have to give him a max, which is the twenty five percent sort of rookie extension max, which. You know, it would be like four one twenty five, and it's just I'm curious. They should just do it. I mean, I think that's the right play. That's the that's the no. They 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 should just do like that's the weird part about the system is like you do the Clippers thing and you just figure it out later. Now it's easy for me to like you know 
spend Cubans money like that when they'll be way over the tax. And it's like a, you know, what is it like a $200 million deal at that point or something even more. Um, but yeah, you have to keep the ass, the guy, the player. And even if it's a contract that's beyond his, it's like at least a sal. It's someone you can eventually like move for, you know, it's like, he's going to have some value. He's young. Like if he's like, I'll sign with you for the max, they should just do it. Like it should just like, like, I think that, I mean, it's weird because I'm with D that I don't believe in him. Like, I, I'm like, I don't think I would never give him in the open market, like, more than the 480. Like, I feel like that's a pretty fair, like, he's not as good as Van Vliet, but like. Yeah, he's no market. Van Vliet. Yeah. You, so, sir, are no Van Vliet. I knew Van Vliet and you, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I think he's more in the, like, you know, if the Mavs could have figured it out, they probably could have got him for what, like, 465 or something. And that, that's kind of like, that seems like a very, like, reasonable place to be. Um like last year, but they didn't get to it. And so I would not go past 480 for him if I was the Knicks or someone else, but there isn't many free agents. And so they're going to do it obviously. But if like, if I'm Dallas, I just give him the max and just kind of move on and just be like, okay. Like, I mean, they all know the game is played. Like he's not going to be there that forever, but it's like, that's the only way you do when you're over the, over the, over the cap and that's what we saw we're seeing it with the clippers right when they're going to get wall they let zubak zubak out then sign him for the extension i think they'll work something out with hardenstein like you basically just, just like you get guys on exceptions or trade for them and you never let anyone go that's decent <laughs> like that's that's the way to win unless you have steph curry and that's where i think they they have to keep brunson and i think i give them more credit as a player i mean i think even in the the Phoenix series where Luca was playing, I think much of that series pivoted when they let they started sort of sharing some of the duties. Obviously, it wasn't like an even split; there weren't like co shares. But Brunson dominating the ball more than he had been earlier in that series is what really I think pivoted large a large component of that in multiple facets, right? A, you know, he, he performed well, but also it allows Doncic to have more longevity in terms of stamina and kind of continence in terms of continuity in terms of his ability to perform in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and so it's, I, I think Brunson, I, there's, there's guys that can fill that role, but it's not like Brunson can leave and you can be like, you know what? Spencer Dinwiddie is now our secondary ball handler. Like Dinwiddie's nice off the bench. I, I tended to like that, that, the pieces they got for Porzingis at the deadline myself, but he's not going to play a role that Brunson can and did in high leverage situations and to that, uh, that level of efficiency. So just, I think that's, it hurts on a team building structural standpoint, like you're getting at, but I also think just the product on the court is going to present some challenges for them. Cause I just, it's going to be too much of a load on Doncic. I mean, you saw it, it reminds me of some of the late era, those late era Houston teams, like the, like the last one with Westbrook where they just, it was just Harden and just not enough kind of hit the su- wall. Yeah. A support around him. And, and so I'm curious if that's ultimately what happened. That's the sort of, the 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 end game here for Doncic, and then what does that look like when he's? I think he's entering year four or five. I think year five. five. But you know, that's it's you have seven years, and so if that's what what does the next couple of years unfold like, and and does the heat does the pressure start to heat up? Obviously, they've had some issues relationally as a franchise with Doncic, and what does that mean for you know the coming era as they as he kind of evaluates what his next step is. 
I mean, the counterpoint on Dodgers, though, have you seen the pictures and video of him in the Eurobasket, like, prelims? Like, the guy is, like, I mean, we'll see how it carries. Let's see if he has his, like, holiday, you know, beer festival <laughs> after Eurobasket. Oh, did he get the Jokic COVID? Well, I, uh, yeah, I, he got something because I think he got, like, <laughs> beat up by the Warriors and decided, like, he wants to, like, he wants to win a title because he is, like, he looks strong. He looks fit. It was like, whoa. So, yeah, we again, yeah, yeah. I don't know if he went full, full Jokic, COVID, like unrecognizable, um, but uh, it definitely hey. looks, looks like looks like he's more fit for sure. So we'll see. Hey, speaking of guys wanting to win a title, have you guys heard the rumor that Kevin Durant wants to come to Portland and uh, talk about righting a wrong? Uh, there's been a falling out with, uh, with Kyrie and Durant. Like I, I know and a guy, him and who, knows a guy were... who knows a guy who's friends with Will Barton, who's very good friends with Kevin Durant, <laughs> who says, a little Breaking Bad, Saul Goodman, you know, I know a guy who knows him. But Durant, that's his, this is his preferred destination. We're going to, we're going to make things right with Odin. We're going to, we're going to bury the past. And uh, I don't know how we would get him. That's, that's the other part. Uh, I don't know how that'd work out, but. Yeah, there's, a, there's some trade mechanics there that are challenging. I will say, on the Blazers' front, if Jalen Brunson is getting at or near the max, the Anthony Simons uh, market may be pretty unique. Now, on he's the bright restrict- side... He's restricted, right? He is, but I, you know, I, it's still, you know, there's... Maybe it's just the Knicks are Knicksing, so it doesn't matter. It's not representative of the market, but... Um, you know, Simons. Simons is in the echelon of Brunson, right? I mean, that's the. I'd much rather have Simons than Brunson to save money. And that's a, that's the that's the wild thing about all of this right now is how, you know, myopic Leon Rose and Worldwide West and, and the Knicks are in their pursuit of Brunson, but he's unrestricted. They can go get him. So maybe that's the. Maybe that's but the but case don't you here. think part of their thinking too, even though they have his dad, like they're not going to move him or anything, but still, like, he is young, right? Like. You don't often get even marginally like top three players for a team in their first extension years, right? I mean that that is like yeah. he was like a I think he was kind of older coming out, but still it's like you're getting his peak years, and so the odds of him, especially he is twenty five. Yeah, we're, we're you're going to get his like peak years. You guarantee yourself his peak years. He's not like he doesn't have like a great athletic ability, but he knows the NBA. Grew up in it. He's going to be fine. He'll keep do what he needs to do and like so it's kind of the Aiden thing too it's just like you're getting his like peak like the combination of his athletic peak and his like skill peak the overlap is like right in that second contract like that's exactly where you want to be and so I wonder if like their thinking is like you could see a situation where they give him like you know 100 plus or whatever it is and then they need to make a move eventually and they sell. They tell Papa Rick, <laughs> "Sorry, we got a chance to get a big time star, and Brunson's part of the deal." Um, it's just an interesting. I, I just feel like there. I really like getting guys in that age group. Now, of course, like years and years ago, I was a supportive of Jude, Joe Dumars signing Charlie Villanueva and was it Ben Gordon? Because they were both at that point. And it was like, young guys, invest in the young guys. Like, yeah, get Iverson. This is going to work. This is great. Who needs Billups? I love it. Joe D. 
Got the two phones all, going. Got the two phones. What, what, what is it? You're open. Young, yeah. You're open for a reason, right? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what do I know? But I, I just feel like that might be, you know, part of their their thinking. Um, well, and they, I mean, but you, I was just weird. Did. That, why didn't they draft the eleventh? Like it's just weird. Like they're. You'd think they'd want the pick. Like, if they're going to get Brunson, they they want to be decent. I mean, I know, like, Thibodeau doesn't want to play any rookies, and they get the out the out picks that they can kind of throw in there as sweetener for deals for better players. But it doesn't – it's kind of waffling. So It doesn't particularly seem strategic. It, where, where on the inverse, you have the Philadelphia 76ers convincing James Harden to decline a $47 million player option on a presumably handshake agreement that he's going to get. What three years, one hundred and twenty million bucks here, coming on in the on the eve of free agency, and as a result, do you know what they were able to do? I just saw this. PJ Tucker, three years, thirty million bucks to the Sixers. Wow, which is wild to me. Wait, that that, that went through. Well, that's well, it's not that's the done offer. Yet, that's the that's offer. That the 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 early report that the the non tampering version of the report is. Uh, the Sixers and PJ Tucker three thirty, which whoa! I think Tucker got the taxpayer mid level last year, which is like six, and the Bucks weren't going to give it to him. He, oh my I mean, god! He's, he's had such a funny career. He's like you know he's gonna he's gonna be um, looking for the highest you know going to the highest bidder every year, but three thirty. I mean, wow! And, and that's all manifested by Maury basically convincing Harden to clearly decline his option. If he takes his, if he picks up his option, then all of a sudden they have, they don't have the, they don't, they don't have the, the full mid level to go ahead and go get Tucker. So it's, um, it's fascinating from like a strategy standpoint to watch a team like the Knicks meander and a team like the Sixers be exacting, whether you like the results or not. I mean, PJ Tucker is what 36 years old and average seven points a, a game in 35 minutes. So it's not exactly, you know, He's not exactly a world beater, but he certainly brings certain skills to the table that combined with a guy like Embiid and Harden and Maxi and Harris and, you know, your boy Tybal might be on the market, but uh, <laughs> not the to rest fact of the roster looks pretty fun. Not to fact check you there, but seven points seems a little high for Tucker. Sure <laughs> it's a, it's an well, and we're, but we're not even talking about Melton. I mean, that, I really like that move. I really like Melton. I mean, I know he was like, you know, Memphis is trying to roll over guys to cheaper guys, and they have a bunch of dudes. But like, I thought it was a nice, uh, it's a nice move. He's on a reasonable contract. He's like can play defense. He can play both ways. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, someone like Maury, he, he's pretty confident in his ability to like kind of pull together like a supporting cast each year and kind of make things work. Um, but yeah, I think convincing Harden to do that definitely was part is impressive considering where it started was like, oh, man, is he going to just kind of give him everything because, you know, of their their history together? Um, I, Zach Lowe did say something funny. I don't know if you guys heard one of his recent podcasts. He said that if if the Sixers did go ahead and sign Tucker, that Maury should meet um, should meet Tucker's jet on the runway, just like he did with Harden, <laughs> give him, like, a big hug, just like he did <laughs> when Harden arrived and – Every That's other great. rocket he brings back to join him. In the <laughs> Eric Gordon gets picked up at the buyout market. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, well, last thing on the rumor mill, uh, DeAndre Aiden is also still in play for the Blazers. So we're looking at Aiden, Durant, uh, Lillard. <laughs> I, think, I think the extent of the Durant rumor was that Lillard put a picture of him and Durant on his Instagram. So that got, that was, 
I mean, the weird part about the NBA, though, is like, you know, everyone's going through Durant trades, but like, like it's like he signed a he has a four he has four more years on his deal, but he can just I mean the way it works practically is he can go wherever he wants. Like he can say I want to go someplace, and you know I, I don't think we've seen a team when a player's in that position just say say no to them. You in a way you'd think this would be a time to do that considering it was he was the co uh, co coach co GM part of the the, the circle. Of trust, the holacracy. At a minimum, uh, we know the holacracy lives on. Do you, okay, do you, okay. Yes or no, Kyrie is a net on opening night. I no. have to go with yes. Derek? Ooh, disagree. No, there, this this, this uh, alleged uh, falling out between uh, Durant and Kyrie, the whole thing is going to blow up, I think. I think there's something going on there. You mean like Durant finally, like some of his friends finally got through to him and said, this is a horrible relationship for you. It's like, you're getting taken advantage of. Like, what are you thinking? Like, exactly. Climbing set you up because he wanted to live in you New York. You can't marry him. It's, you can't marry him. It's after two months. What are you thinking? You can't get engaged. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's so weird, right? I mean, there's just weird guys. I mean, like even knowing a little bit of the history, right? That we got the little, the inside Maybe some breaking three and D love news from like four years ago, whatever it was, three years ago. But you know, those guys partnering and kind of just deciding they were going to go together. I mean, yeah, it's like choose who you like, choose your co-pilot wisely because it is. It's a rough. Well, I'm not going to badmouth Durant now that he's going to be a Blazer soon. So I, have, <laughs> I have nothing more to say on him. <laughs> Simon Snurkic and. Uh, what's the what's the, what's the trade? Sorry, Nurkic is the um, expendable one in all this because since Aiden's coming, sorry, that's your end, end of. Okay, <laughs> that's a, next question. Where's Aiden end up? Because like they're saying, like I the mean, only other team that has salary cap space. This is before the Murray trade was like the Spurs, right? I mean, the Pistons kind of seemed to Piston, kind of move yeah. away from it. Like this, there's no way. Even before Murray got traded, they were going to sign him because I mean, Monty is like Pop's guy, and Monty like basically like, you know, he did the like you know, Havana like I you know you broke my heart you know type of thing with Freddie. I mean, it was like it, that was like you you don't cross Monty. You know, Monty's a like a man of integrity, and like he obviously he's a man of honor and. Uh, Aiden did something to violate that. So no one in that like pop tree would ever touch Aiden with a 10 foot pole. So it's like, where's he going to go? You think, I mean, I guess the Blazers, but if not Portland, where's he going to go? Well, the I, question to me is where does he get a max offer sheet? Cause he's restricted. Right. So it's like, if he has to get signed somewhere and the Pistons one was the most obvious, they still have that. They, I think they still have the space technically, or they do they don't now with the Noel. The Berks, Noel trade, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I was thinking and then that, the Spurs yeah. are the only max the only the only team with the max slot that they could actually sign him into space. So it seems like it's either a sign and trade with Phoenix or Aiton ultimately resigns or takes the qualifying offer, which basically has never happened before, which is a weird arcane rule where rookies can that are restricted can take a one year qualifying offer at a certain sum of money that's quite a bit less than they would normally make. Um, but as a result, next year Aiton would be unrestricted, which would be sort of wild. I think he'd make like 12 million bucks. So it still wouldn't be a uh, too, too shabby of a lifestyle, but 
Um, be, he seems like he might be the perfect guy to take the QO going forward because he would be eligible for a pretty substantial, um, a pretty substantial max here. And and the rest of Phoenix to on the whole is fascinating. Crowder's probably leaving. Word is, Javale McGee is probably leaving. I mean, there's just there's a whole heap of a shakeup here, which is reasonable considering the 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 tire fire that resulted in the, that round two loss in game seven. But um, I'm fascinated to see what what Phoenix could have been. I wonder if they're going to be our era's version of like the mid '90s Sonics, where you kind of thought they were going to be around forever, and all of a sudden it went poof. What's well, a sad way in the Is podcast, too soon? Michael? Well, thanks a lot. Sorry, 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 man. I thought we were having some fun there. <laughs> but um, any any other any things of note or any thoughts on Phoenix before we wrap this up? I guess just one thought on Phoenix. I know we get going, but did you guys read the article about their scouting process where James Joe, their general manager, is like, we don't think the draft matters and we don't really even like invest much in the draft. We don't have many scouts and stuff. And it was just funny because like they've obviously had some, they had the like the Johnson pick, which he was better than most people thought. They picked him higher and it worked out great. They also did the Smith pick for Maryland that just like totally bounced. But then also, Ryan McDonough must have read that piece, the former GM, and just been like pounding his head because James Jones started with Booker. Um, I think he didn't draft Aiton. Like he had all these young stars <laughs> that were on the team. Like it's easy to think the draft doesn't matter when you already have like you're set up for success. But um, I thought it was pretty funny. But yeah. Uh, well, thanks again for joining us. And apologies to Jalen Brunson. He walked out of the waiting room. <laughs> When you guys were slandering his uh, his post moves, take the max. Take, stay in Dallas. Be better with, than Van Fleet. Stay with Luca. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the Three and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.